chapter verse 18 through 23 uh, in this context Paul is talking about the local body its rich possessions he's already told us in this context that we studied last week that we have all things all things are ours and to understand that you've got to look at the, the way in which they are ours the whole world belongs to us because it's our field of labor. Uh, it's not because we have a title to Europe and France and Germany and all them countries. And so understanding how they're ours, uh, we can come to agree with Paul that all things are truly ours. <laughs> this world is ours. This life is ours, with a with a with a responsibility, and death is ours. All these things are ours, uh, and uh, for our service. So we got down to the last point. Uh, he's listed some of them that are ours. And if he didn't list it, uh, everything that you could think about, he's already said all things are yours. So we can take that to the bank. We may not fully understand it, but nevertheless, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I may not understand it for a while. Maybe my maturity needs to grow to where I can understand a lot of things. But I'm to have patience, not only in my uh, daily living, and my growth development, but in God's leading me. So if some of the things you want to possess are not there, if it's holy, it belongs to you. If it's unholy, you wouldn't want it anyway. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that we want that when we got it, we found out that we were wrong. For example, if you think success is good, you wait till you get it. Uh, you'll find out that it's empty once the applause ends and the people leave. It's empty. But yet our colleges push this idea of success. Success in what? And what's the nature of that success? <clears throat> There's got to be something beyond man uh, beyond uh, this praise that man you're great oh that's fabulous amen uh, preach on brother uh, so once the, the people's gone the applause ceases where's the fulfillment in success Jesus told his disciples that if they'd be successful he said it this way uh, he said, if you would be great, become servant of all. If you would be great, become servant of all. All right, there's no way that you can get to the point that that lasts through the dark hours, this idea of success. If you don't believe that, talk to anybody that has been a success in any endeavor it ended it had a time when it ended but the things that's discussed here that we have in the church in the lord are, are 
are ours continually. They don't end. But these possessions went, uh, these possessions Paul was talking about went on. These are the things on which you will build your life uh, or your life will fall. The world does not have a, struct a structural build of a man's life. Theirs are the ones that their, their instructions, their philosophies, what leads men to commit suicide, leads men to take on drugs, leads men to go to alcohol, to endure. All right. <clears throat> so that's why it's important. Uh, that's why we've been kind of repetitious about this because there's nothing more important than that. There is the basis for our future endeavor to know that we have the ability to plan anything and everything that needs to happen because does the future belong to the stock market or prudential or piece of the rock or does it belong to us? We've lost sight of that. We've lost sight of that. I don't care if oil gets to be $1,000 a gallon. <coughs> Who's the world belong to? You and me. It's our field of endeavor. We've been dispatched into the world that God made. Uh, who does the future belong to? I don't care if we see a depression worse than the 20s ever saw back in the 1900s or some other uh, country takes us over and makes uh, being a Christian illogic, uh, illegal uh, and starts chopping the heads off of anybody that even mentions Jesus' name. In view of that, still, who's the future belong to? You and me. And so everything serves us. Life, death, all things, they belong to us. God didn't make them for the heathen. He made them for us. I don't care what kind of wall you can build like they did in Germany or erect to say that you can't come in here. If Jesus wants us in there, we're in there because He rules this world. <clears throat> and so one of the things that keeps us out of all of those places we don't plan to go there. That's what keeps us out, is we just don't decide to go. And so the world being ours, we don't look at it that way. Uh, and if they put up walls or rules and regulations, uh, we say, well, that's it. We can't go. Well, that's, that's not necessarily what the Lord says. Um, and that's because the future belongs to uh, us. I think that's the most important revelation uh, that uh, we can receive uh, is the future belongs to me as I serve God. The future is mine. Under God's leadership, the future is mine. It don't belong to the stock market. It doesn't belong to the gold market. It doesn't belong to the Arabs, although it belongs to some Arabs. It doesn't belong to Americans. It does belong to some Americans, that's true. But they have to renounce their American citizenship as being secondary. God gives us dual citizenship. We've got to understand <coughs> the power of one or we will follow the wrong guy and we'll end up in the wrong house. Alright, now some applications of it. <coughs> Let's look at the church and its single requirement. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. <coughs> the church, its single requirement. If I serve God, I need to know what's required of me. <clears throat> and here Paul's going to tell us. <clears throat> 
If I've got a lot of things required of me, uh, then I'm in trouble. I'd kind of like to know God wants me to do one thing. I'd kind of like to know that when God views me, He has a single requirement for me. Not bunches of requirements. Now, He may have a lot of assignments, you understand. Uh, I didn't say single assignments. But in every assignment, whatever it is, what does God require? Faithfulness. Wouldn't it be good to know that no matter what the Lord gives you to do, He has just one requirement of you? He doesn't require success. He's not required you to be successful. He's not even requiring fruit. Now that nearly sounds unchristian, uh, doesn't it? He doesn't even require fruit. He promises it. Jesus said you can bear no fruit except you abide in me. Remember that? John 15? And so that's true. God doesn't require fruit from you, but fruit will come as a result of your faithfulness. You see the point. So what does God require of us? Faithfulness. And the fruit will follow, won't it? But it'll be God's doing and not yours. And you don't have a right to get up and boast of what you think you've done in the kingdom of God. He doesn't even require fruit. He promises it. If you'll do what's required, if you'll just be faithful. So he promises both success and fruitfulness if you'll do what's required. So let's read what's required. So then, verse 1, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. There it is. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me, and therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Did you hear what was required there in that context? All right, let's uh, look first of all at men and God. What does God require uh, regarding men and God? Well, we read it. We read it a minute ago. They must be faithful as underroars and stewards. Now that word translated stewards there in verse 1 is the Greek word which means the bottom rower in a Mediterranean galley. That's how people of that age would read that and understand that to be the bottom rower. They normally had two to five. Uh, some of the huge ships had seven tiers of oars sticking out on the, both sides of that ship. The guy at the top has a big long leverage and a real high fulcrum. And so uh, using that big long lever, he's not getting too tired. Whereas the guy at the bottom has a real short lever and a real short fulcrum, so he's working many times harder than the guy at the top. And so they put the least regarded slave at the bottom, and he worked, he works until he dies, and they throw him overboard and put another in his place. That's the under-roar. Uh, you hardly survive as an under-roar. It was the lowest, most 
demeaning place and demanding place to be. It's an under roar. Now, you didn't hear that first time when you heard Paul say, consider us as servants, did you? Because you might have been thinking of uh, dekoniah, which means a hard hand, or another Greek word, dubios, which means a slave, but doesn't describe this kind of a slave. This word that we're dealing with here in the text is the lowest word of all for servants. And so Paul's saying, I'm an under rower. That is, as far as the world uh, uses it, uh, that's what it means. Nobody wants to be an under rower. Nobody ever said, uh, boy, I'm going to study hard and prepare myself to be an under rower. My goal in life is to become the best under rower that any Mediterranean galley has ever seen. That wasn't the case with this position. Because you know, uh, you knew if you did that, you'd probably live two or three days because they rode you till you died. They threw you overboard and put another in your place. You were expendable and dispensable. You were a thing to be used and thrown away. And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, that's the position us apostles have. Why are you calling yourself after Paul and after Cephas and after uh, uh, these men? They're servants. They're ministers. They're underlords. Now, that's Paul's view of himself. That wasn't God's view of himself, but it was Paul's view of himself. Paul says, I want you to view me as an expendable uh, dispensable and lowly. That's the way I want you to look at me. I don't want you calling yourself after Paul and following men. He's still dealing with this issue that uh, he brought up in uh, chapter 1, verse 10. This issue of division. And he'll continue through chapter 4 then he'll go to other things. Now, there's none of us that wants that and that's why we need to continually study this kind of thing so that uh, it'll know the glory of being expendable and dispensable and worthless. Didn't Paul teach an entirely different view of life than anybody else in all the world? Uh, that doesn't... Uh, the people that don't have his view of life, uh, you wouldn't learn this in any of the universities that to be great you become a servant of all you wouldn't learn this in a university that the man of God is to be an under rower he, give, he lays his life down he gives it all because that's what an under rower did he didn't last two or three days until he he was exhausted wore out and he died they throwed him overboard and put another one in his place. And so the universities won't teach you that, uh, what Paul's teaching here. They will teach you how to win friends, influence people, and hustle to the top and throw everybody else uh, to the side so that you can get up there. And uh, how do I get ahead? No matter what. And that's how you, you get ahead according to them. How to manipulate people, use people. They will teach you all of that. But you can't learn what they teach here in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul says the only way to be a success is to be a faithful under-roar. Now we have yet to learn how to serve one another. We're not going to bend and bow and we're not going to put ourselves out for somebody that's a snob or somebody we don't know. We've made judgments, haven't we? Well, do we have that right? No, we don't. No, we don't. Uh, but we have that attitude with us. I'm not going to serve him. Why? Uh, he's obstinate. He's arrogant. He's got problems. Well, who doesn't? And who was we sent to in the first place? 
we were sent to a dead world. Paul's already told us all things of yours, and one of those things was this world. It's ours to labor in. It's ours to work in. It smells like a pigsty because of man and his doing. But still in all, we're sent to this world. So we roll up our pant legs and put on our big boots to wade through the pigsty. Now he goes from that top office to the highest office as a servant. Now, isn't that the strange that in the same verse he calls himself the lowest kind of servant and the highest kind of servant? Because he says, count us as stewards, as those entrusted with the hidden things of God. So they're stewards of God and they're also servants that serve as an underroar. The steward was the fellow who ran the household, and the owner didn't even know what was going on. A good example of that is uh, a little fellow by the name of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife uh, hounded him, uh, he, his answer to her was this, My master knows not what is in the house with me. He's committed everything in my hand. Uh, except for you, because you are his wife. That was Joseph that said that. And boy, did he make that dude rich. He made Potiphar rich. Then he became the steward of Pharaoh's house, and seven years later, Pharaoh is the richest man in all the world. And he stayed that way. The steward is the person in charge of the whole household for the benefit of the owner. Uh, not for his own benefit. His reward is not in his pay, but in his master's increase. That's the faithful steward. But that's, uh, but that's the reward of the faithful steward is in his master's increase and not in his own return. And so both those have to fit into the same uh, personality, both the lowly underroar and the highly esteemed steward in the same person. And that makes him the highest, the highly esteemed steward, doesn't it? Because he's willing to serve in the menial tasks of uh, being an underroar. Uh, the Lord said, To whom much is given, much is required. Be faithful in a little, and I'll make you faithful in a bunch. And so just learn to roll and expect to receive God's thanks. But you won't get a thing from God if you won't learn how to roll. If you're not been faithful uh, as just under rollers uh, that people touch, uh, that lepers touch, that prostitutes touch in the right way. If you're not that person, then you're never going to uh, get to possess uh, and use the Father's uh, uh, faith uh, possessions. But what did God do to the one talented man? He just condemned him. Or did he just condemn him, or did he take away the talent? Well, he took away and gave it to the fellow that had five. And the point is, use it or lose it. That's a fact of life, whether it's talking about your physical being or your muscles and things, uh, or Christianity. You either use it or lose it. And if you don't use the abilities that God gave you today, uh, you get no more. That's taught in the Talmud parable. But if you are faithful to the assignment, if it's done there on the, on the bottom rower, if you're faithful to your assignment, one day you'll be steward over all God's house. God has. Now you may still be rowing. That's true. See, this is not an incentive to get out of the gallery, galley because Paul said, consider me as an underlord and a steward. 
And so you'll still roll, because that's the more glorious act to Paul and to Jesus. Jesus become a zero. He become an under-roar. And because he did that, read Philippians and tell you about it. <clears throat> because he did that, what did God do to him? Well, it's stated there, Therefore God highly exalted him above every name. Why did he do it? Because Jesus was an under-rower. God always exalts under-rowers. But if we want to become a steward of God, then we better want to become the under-rower. If your uh, desire is a large congregation where the glory-seeking uh, seekers are, and you can sh uh, share with them, uh, then <clears throat> you're not a zero. You're not an under-roar. And you might later on share with Jeremiah his mindset. Uh, he was serving in the big place and away in, uh, uh, in the big place and he found out it wasn't a better place. Because he Pine the waves, he said, Oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for wayfaring men, so that I might leave my people and go away from them. Jeremiah 9, verse 2. Do you know why? Because he found out that noise is not communication. All right, verse uh, 3 through 5. Uh, first of all, the single requirement of faithfulness toward God. But what do I have toward you? Same word, faithfulness. If I allow myself to be judged by you, I'm not being faithful to you. Boy, you preach on that again and you, you're gone. That's what a congregation will say to you. But you know that you're gone. You be that underroar. It's tossed overboard. Next time you come to a text that says says that, you're tempted not to preach on that because you've been told not to. But you're going to preach it anyway. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But the time will come when they'll not endure sound teaching. So Paul says, your judgment of me does not hinder my faithfulness to God and to you. And furthermore, I'll not be judged by any human court. It's no big deal if you judge me, Paul says, or any human court judges me. I'm not even judged by my own conscience. I know I'll be judged by Jesus on that day. So what will be the criteria? Will it be fruit, success, reputation? No, it will be faithfulness, because that's what he's teaching here. Faithfulness to whatever God uh, sets before you to do. You fill the gap. Uh, that will be the only uh, judge, man to man. Man to God, what does he require? Well, he requires faithfulness. Uh, man to man, what does he require? Faithfulness. Uh, now to illustrate that is this point I, did, uh, I never required my wife to be beautiful although she is she was I, don't requ I didn't require her to cook good food although she did I don't require her to keep a good house although she does did. the only requirement that I can uh, require of her is that she's faithful to me. And there's that word again, faithful. That's all God requires of you and me. He don't require success. He will give you success. He don't require fruit. He will give you fruit. He will make you a fruit producer. John 15, Jesus said, my father is the husbandman and he proves back and he He's the one that brings forth fruit and, and success.
But the only thing we have to remember is being faithful to God. That's all. And He does the rest. If we're faithful to Him, we're in class learning, aren't we? We're studying at home. We're learning every chance we get. We want to know. We want to grow. And we're walking with God, aren't we? 1 John 1, 7. And as we walk with Him, uh, we're pure as God is pure because of the blood. Now you, as a congregation, what do uh, I have a right to require of you? Just be faithful. What requirement do you have of me as a teacher? Just be faithful. You can't require that I'm knowledgeable. I'm just what I am. Although if I'm faithful, will I become more knowledgeable, more polite, more loving, uh, less crude? But you don't require those things. You just require that I be faithful. That's all. Suppose I don't like you. That's beside the point. Are you faithful? So man's work involved in making the church the holy of holies uh, is God. And because of that, it only has the same principle requirement that God had for Adam and Eve, and that is to be faithful in service. Thus, they're called, that's what they're called to do. The glory of the angels is that you... Uh, uh, you assign one of them to be the greatest orator standing before millions and the other the temple sweeper. Now if God had two jobs for them to do, one would be to stand in the pulpit of the world and be the great orator. And the other job would be to clean out the sewers and the toilets and things. They'd leave for service right away. And if you said, wait a minute, I haven't told you what, uh, which to do what, they'd say, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter to the servant of God what he does when he serves God? Whether it's clean and toilet or, or preach from the pulpit. He's serving God, isn't he? It really wouldn't matter, would it? Because the significance of the service is not determined by the degree of the service rendered, but by the one served. And we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what we do. And that's what he's saying here in the single requirement. And that is that we serve the Lord, and therefore our service is what? Very significant whether it's cleaning the church building or the latrine, whether the service is in, uh, uh, is, it's extremely significant that we be what? Faithful in that service. Now, since that's true, and it is, I would expect the church to have a single standard. If you've got a single requirement, it's necessarily essential to have a single standard, wouldn't it? And so, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 6 through 13, we're going to see the local body is standard. We've seen what God requires of it. Faithful. Just be faithful. He'll put you where He wants you in the kingdom. He'll set before you the opportunities that, that He sees that you can do and He wants you to do. And all you do is walk through the door. And He will supply what you need. <clears throat> the local body, it's standard. You see, if you love someone, don't, uh, you're willing to serve them, aren't you? If you love your wife, if you love your husband, if you love your children, you're dedicated and committed to service. Well, that's the way it is with God. If we love God, what, call, what does that love cause us to do? Become an underroar. And, and eventually... Uh, a steward over his possessions. One who makes him richer 
in the kingdom by bringing in souls. So, the local body is standard, chapter 4, verse 6 through 13. He starts out with a statement. Now, brothers, now, if, uh, if many of us had, uh, if any of us had written that, it would have come out. Now, you rascals, you heretics, you weaklings, that's the way it would have come out. And, and even if it had, we hadn't written it that way, I'm sure it would have been thought that way. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos. <clears throat> this is verse 6. For your sakes, for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Well, I think you're already seeing what the standard is, aren't you? The Word of God. It's not the wisdom of man, it's the wisdom and the Word of God. Paul's already told them in chapter 2 that they have the mind of Christ, remember? Alright, so going ahead here with his text, Paul says, Then you will not take pride in one man over against another man. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. Uh, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, and we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty and are in, uh, in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work with our hands, uh, our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuge of the world. And so, in spite of all, he ends with that's the, what's the single standard? The Word of God. That's what he said. The Word of God. That is the standard. He said, I want you to learn in all of this that I've mentioned not to go beyond what is written. Men do that, don't they? You ask them, why are you pushing this instrumental music? Have you got a scripture for it? What's their answer? Well, you know, uh, and here they get off into human philosophy. Uh, it just sounds so good. So good. It adds virtue to our singing. But is that what God requires? That ain't what God said, is it? And so we like Nadab and Abihu uh, in uh, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, we offer strange fire before the Lord. God killed those two men. So, uh, uh, so the Word of God uh, and we, Paul said, you don't go beyond what is written. Well, what is written? Well, about anything by God is the single standard of the church. It's like Isaiah said to the people of his day, to the law and the testimony in Isaiah 8 and verse 20. Any decision must be taken to the Supreme Court immediately. You men... 
when you have a business meeting. You don't come in and try to rationalize your belief in some idea or some concept. You use scripture or you back off from it. That puts a man in a, a tremendous, terrible place if he's trying to pass off something that is not written in the Word of God. You know, you can build a great bridge out here out of stuff, out of Scripture. And the first car goes over, it collapses and falls in the river because it's a misalignment. It's a misapplication of the Word of God. And so we need to be careful and listen to what God says. Nadab and Abihu didn't do that. It says they used a strange fire, and it goes ahead and says, which he commanded them not. In other words, he didn't say, you can't use that, you can't use that, you can't use that, you can't use that. When he told them what to use, the nature of the fire and which they was to use, that ruled out everything else right there. You tell your kids, go to the store and pick mother or father up a, 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 bottle, a bottle of milk. They don't get up there and reason, well, Mom didn't say I couldn't buy some candy. Mom didn't say I couldn't buy some pop. Mom didn't say I couldn't buy the thousands of things in the store. So I'm free to buy, get whatever I want. And that's exactly the way the denominational world approaches their worship and their service to God. Is that very way. What looks good to me, it surely looks good to God. And we'll go my way. And so Paul's insisting here that the standard for the body is the Word of God. It's not the, the philosophical uh, crap that men offer in argumentation over some uh, matter, regardless of what it is. And so we go to the Supreme Court for a decision. And we've already studied about the first century when they took a matter to the Supreme Court in in Acts the 15th chapter I think it was <coughs> you remember the question about uh, the Jews teaching the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to be saved and they they applied they applied they appealed to the Supreme Court What's the Supreme Court? God's Word. Uh, there are no district courts to appeal to. There's no other kind of court in the kingdom. Twelve men sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew 19, verse 28. And so when the church got uptight about circumcising Gentiles and or not circumcising them, uh, where did they take that matter? Acts, the 15th chapter, uh, to the Supreme Court. Others went because they wanted to. Paul went by revelation. Why? Uh, he's nervous of the Supreme Court. Is that why? No, but that, uh, you've got to take it in the, to the Supreme Court uh, there. Now, 12 is a symbolic number but we get 13 guys on the board. I know James is already dead. Uh, that's in Acts 12, verse 1 and 2. But James is still on the throne. You can't take an apostle off the throne by cutting off his head. Uh, is, G is, uh, is James still on the throne? Still on the, it's still in the kingdom? We still go to the apostles. When Peter speaks, James speaks. He says, me too, me too, me too. I'm saying that too, I'm saying that too. Whenever Paul speaks, Peter says, that's my brother. I'm saying that too. You see, if we uh, got the attitude of family, anything any one of us speaks, who's spoken? The family has spoken. We've spoken. Anytime anybody's honored, who's honored? Everybody in the family. 
the twelve men sits on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. For any one of them to speak was to honor all twelve because they declared the word of God and in perfect agreement. in perfect agreement. Well, Paul stated it in the first chapter in verse 10, didn't he? He said, I beseech you, brethren, that you all be of the same mind and the same judgment. You all speak the same things. Is that possible? I mean, there's a millions of people in a religious sector to argue with that. They'd say there's no way we can all speak the same things. If we follow the word of God, if it is our standard, we can. All right, verse 6 and 7. itself first of all it is the word of God the standard is what God has written he said I've given you this human illustration about uh, Apollos and me Paul says that you might learn not to go beyond what is written so what does the standard result in in verse 6 uh, lack of pride in one man over another that was the problem they had. The word teaches me that we're a bunch of nobodies, uh, anybodies, and the way to get uh, glory is to become the best nobody that we can be. The person that gets the most glorifying is the one that becomes the greatest servant. Now that's un-American, I know that, and it's un uh, college, they don't teach that in college, and it's also according to man's standard. Uh, it's unmanly because we already want to know who's the best, the one that's the least. Now, when you go to the football field, it's not the one who's the least, is it? But in the kingdom of God, that's the, the man who has humbled himself to the very bottom of his being. He's humbled himself. He's bridled his, his uh, manliness, if you will, and he's brought it into subjection and service to God. And there's no room for pride in that. There's no room there. He's got to be a humble servant, doesn't he? And that's what Peter said again in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may... Uh, Exalt you in due time. Exalt you in due time. Yeah. Thanks. And so, uh, who's the best? The one that is least. And that's why Jesus become a zero. He humbled himself to become nothing, the scourge of the earth. But with men it's success, glory, self-glory, self-esteem. And so how do we look at one another? How do we how do we judge one another? By our faithfulness. How do we judge our teachers and preachers? By their faithfulness. Not uh, they can have problems, but they can be faithful, can't they? And that's the idea. Uh, and they have one single standard, the Word of God. So these two points up here is very significant in Paul's teaching that we're studying here in Corinthians. 
uh, it has these possessions of all things. All things belong to you because God gave them to you for your use, uh, for your purpose in service to Him. And it has one single requirement, and that's faithful, being faithful. And it has one standard, the Word of God. So look at verse uh, 6 and 7. He asks some questions here in verse 7, based on the Word. Why are you different from anybody else? Uh, how do you count yourself different? Because the Word says we're all brothers. Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? Boy, that's quite a powerful thing when you begin to think about it. Everything I have is from God. I don't care what it is. My boots, my clothes, uh, my intellect, everything. I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what could you name that wasn't given to you? And yet we get so arrogant. Look at me, how smart I am. Look what I know. Uh, well, what do you have that you didn't receive? Now he's dealing with these men who are trying to divide the church. Uh, uh, and uh, so that's the nature of his language to him. What do you have that you didn't receive? What does the word say? It says everything belongs to you, uh, God, and therefore to him. And if you received it, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? So we sometimes glory as if we've earned this stuff. But the concept that he's getting across here is uh, everything you've got, you've received. So if you've received it, third question, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? That you earned it. Why are you acting like you earned it? Uh, that's uh, that you've labor, uh, that your uh, uh, that your labor gained this for you. It was a gift already. All things have already been given to you, whether you possess them or not. You remember the first chapter and the first nine verses. Paul talked about uh, the rich possessions that we have in Christ. One of them was that God has given us all things. He gave the Corinthians all things. Paul said, you have all things. I forget which verse. Somewhere in those first nine verses. About in the middle of them. You have all things. God has given us all things too, hasn't he? But if the church in Benton City goes south, as it were. If it goes sour, why would it go sour? It won't be because of the word of God. Because we all have it. We we have all things. It'll be because we ain't been paying no attention to it. It hasn't been our standard. That's the problem. Uh, so, uh, you've been given uh, all things, uh, whether you possess them or not. Now, you possess them by what? By faithfulness. Uh, faith and faithfulness. That's the whole thing. If the single standard is the Word of God, what do I have to uh, have to have in order to get this? Well, I've got to have faith. And then, just be faithful. I'm actually trying to get across to me uh, to get relaxed. Uh, I'm tired of being tired. I'm using myself as an example here of all of us. We spend our whole life tired. Why do we act like today is the only day we're going to live? Uh, has God given us the future? So why get all uptight today? Enjoy it. Relax. Receive. That's all that God wants you to do. And so quit listening to the brethren and to the world as to the standard you are to follow. I think that's important. The standard we follow is the Word of God. And we relax in that as we learn and grow and develop and serve. Uh, let's notice the example. 
that Paul presents. He starts out with some uh, sarcasm and he ends up with humility in verse 9 through 13. In fact, this whole section is uh, impregnated with sarcasm. But verse 8 is really deeply sarcastic. Uh, sometimes when dealing with children, a little sarcastic remark is more telling than a law. <clears throat> you guys have got all you want. You're already rich, already kings. I wish that you were true, uh, uh, Paul said. Uh, for if true, then I'd be a king. I, I would, uh, I, I agree with you because you're, we're equals. So beginning in verse 9 through 13, he really talks about himself and the apostles as examples of glory. I didn't think there was anybody higher in the kingdom than the apostles. We know everybody is the same, but as we would view the church other than Jesus, who would have the top spot? The apostles. And he says four things about the apostles that I haven't thought about till he told me. If I had been uh, writing apostolic history, I wouldn't have said those four things, those four words to describe the apostles. But here are the four words that he used to describe the kind of guys the apostles are. And God has done this. He says, it seems to me, verse 9, that God has put us he didn't say that brother has put us. This is the work of God to Paul. It seems to me that here's what God has done. He's put us apostles on display for everybody to look at at the end of the procession. So where's the legitimate place for leaders to be? You ain't going to like this. Leaders are to be at the end of the procession. Now we're going to discuss the procession here in a minute. That uh, is the back uh, drop of what Paul's talking about here. Now the idea of the procession is that we are men condemned to die in the arena. Because that's what the followers were to do. That's what, they, what happened to them. When the Roman general returned to Rome after the big campaign, and he's been uh, graciously victorious, the last day there, he got on that great white charger that they washed all night, combed and curried, and hung a golden saddle on, up on him, and the reins were made of gold and silver. He put on not his own armor, but his victor armor, made of gold and silver. Uh, <coughs> <coughs> jewels with precious stones. He rode in all of his glory. And behind him, on black and brown and red and uh, pinto'd horses and all of his great generals. And behind them was the infantry marching with their shields uh, bear the shield bearers before them in all their glory and behind that was their servants that had cared for all of their generals and behind them were the captives and they lined them up as the king and the princes and the rich men and the poor men and finally the slaves and the guy at the end of the procession was the least of least and he's going into the arena and he's going to be killed just for the enjoyment of the Roman forces and so Paul says uh, we are apostles at the end of the procession we're viewed by God like men headed for the arena and headed for death they gave their lives for their faith God has put us there, Paul says. It wasn't the world that put them there. 
And that's an important consideration. Paul isn't saying that it's bad because everybody, everything God does is right and good. So if we're put, if the apostles are put at the end of the procession, whether they understand it or appreciate it, is irrelevant. What God does is right and good. He's saying, it is good that God has put me here. God has put me here at the end of the line as a spectacle for everybody to mock so that you and I might learn that it's not bad to be a spectacle. It's not bad to be mocked. If people don't like you, remember they didn't like Jesus either. If you are of the world, they love you because you are not of the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you, Jesus told these men. So, see, being with with Christ makes you know that being at the end of the line is the place to be. Because that's where he took up, was the end of the line, the zero. He become the under roller. Then in verse 10, he says, uh, they're not only spectacles, but fools. And by the way, we're not only spectacles to men, but to angels in verse 9. Even angels observe them. It may keep some of them from falling like the devil did. When they see the glory, glorious apostles and Christ in spectacles, doomed to the arena, end of the line, then they know where the glory place is at the end of the line. So if you'd be great, become a servant of all. Take up the end of the line. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. You can see his sarcasm because that's what they thought. And if you've been to many churches of Christ, you know that that seems to be the mindset of a lot of them. Boy, look at me. Uh, look at Brother Charlie over here, whatever. Uh, they glory in men. And they act like these things weren't given to them. Paul asked them a question, what have you got that you didn't receive? <laughs> and if you received it, what are you crowing about it? Well, our time's up. We'll stop right there. Uh, well, let me finish this one little section here uh, so I don't have to deal with it next week. Verse 10, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. Fools for Christ? Yeah. We've been made by God uh, as far as anybody and all the world is concerned as a fool. That's going to keep us out of the world if we believe that. That's a safeguard, isn't it? God made us to be uh, to the world a fool. You remember the first uh, and second chapter? In the first chapter, Paul talked about how what God chose. He chose the weak things to confound the things that are wise and mighty. And he chose the foolish things to confound the, the wise, the wisdom of man. So God chose just the opposite of what men would choose. So how's the world going to look on us as fools? Now if we have the favor of the world, we better look at our whole card or something wrong. But if they call us fools, then we know that we're <laughs> making an imprint on them. That light set on the hill that cannot be hid is a light of fools to the world. Some out of the world come to that light for the blessings that it gives. So anytime the world starts praising you, you check your whole card because the world is, is to uh, count you it's what to be foolish. What you do is foolish. And so don't curry the world's favor. Carry the world the gospel. And that 
brings me to a place I can stop here pretty good. This is the 20th. Yeah. <laughs> 